Hi, book club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 60, and our book is Caves of Ice, the second book in the Caiaphas Kane omnibus by Sandy Mitchell. The book is about the continuing misadventures of Caiaphas Kane as he is sent to a Prometheum refinery world to fight the orcs? Question mark? Orcs? We, orcs are Amongst there. other things. <laughs> we posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Boiler warning. If you haven't yet read this book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this video as we'll be talking about the book in great detail from start to finish. With that, let's dive in. Did you enjoy this book as much as you enjoyed the last book? Oh, you switched it up on me. Uh, a little bit, didn't I? No. I mean, I liked it. But the first book was, a, it's a treasure. I mean. It's kind of magical, right? Because yeah. Because it, it was such a breath of fresh air and you didn't really, you didn't really know it, right? Right. I imagine it's like, um, like when you're a kid, the first time you have french fries and you're just like, <laughs> oh my god. But then, like the second time you have like, oh yeah, those are those are fine. Those are good. Those are good. I know French fries. Right, but it's not the same. We're like, you know, just trying like any new food that you really like. Just you don't have that same experience. You don't. Not twice, right? Unless it's um, Superman two, because that's better than the first one. Oh, the old one. Yeah. Yeah. Ha. Yes, yes. Yes. Of course. Christopher Reeve. Well, God, no, duh. Just. <laughs> That's just because, yeah, uh, Zod is right, flawless. And then they've all been shit ever since. So <laughs> we don't. What's the? What's the one where he crunches the piece of coal to make the diamond for the woman for her ring because she got it stolen? I hate that movie so much. Anyways, well, moving it on. It could be three or four. You know, I only saw I the third movie once Richard. with Richard Pryor, and I barely remember any of it. The fourth movie I also only saw once. And my mom, even my parents were like, we just should pretend these don't exist. What he has to turn the world. Anyways, that was the first one. We're focusing right now. Uh, <laughs> kind of focusing. Uh, somehow in the span of like two minutes, we managed to compare Caiaphas Kane to both Superman movies and French fries. Oddly. You know what? Pack it all in. I don't think we can be more productive on this show today. I think you're right. And oddly, I think that would make Caiaphas Kane kind of happy. Like, <laughs> to be compared to French fries and Superman. Right? Like, well, I think I think the first would make him happy and the latter would trigger his imposter syndrome. Right. Um, so, <laughs> I agree with you, though. It. Um, I So here's a funny story about this book. Obviously, I read these years ago. In my head, this was two books. There was the Orc book and there was the Necron book with the Mechanicus. So as I started reading this book, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, this book is nuts. I forgot this is all one book. Because it was so, it, There's. we'll talk more about this in a bit here, but there's so much going on in this book. Oh my gosh. Like, I feel like every time Kane goes down into the tunnels, I'm like, what else? Yeah, what else is What else, what is else could possibly out? come out? Uh, yeah, it's the clown car. Yes. It is officially the clown car down there. Uh, 
oddly appropriate. What parts stood out to you? Oh, let's see. Actually, I wrote down quite a few. Yeah, you did. Uh, probably my favorite part was very early on when Kane brokered a very quick peace between the Magos and Martial Law. And basically, oh, he just dropped yes. his gun down and was like, well, she actually can, and I will summarily execute anyone who is going to go against it. Everyone's like, crap. I laughed so hard. I read that out loud to my husband, who was just like, sometimes it has to get done. <laughs> he would know. Well, that and I, uh, huh, to kind of go down to like what I have written down here, um, 100% agree with Amber Lee's footnote of why haven't the Order Hereticus investigated the Adeptus Mechanicus? Along See, those lines? There's a reason why I, I don't actually, like these guys, and this book just pr proved my point. You can't trust them. I actually, one of, my, one of the parts that really stood out to me, and it's one of those things that has always lodged in my brain, it's when they, like, when they first land on the planet, and, uh, the guy is like, oh, yeah, the Mechanicus is talking about this. And um, Kane is like, you understand binary? And the guy's like, oh, no, 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 they'd have to kill me. And then Amberly Vale's footnote is, yeah, the Inquisition's been trying to crack this for years. <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's just one of those little flavor text things that I absolutely love because the Mechanicus like the Mechanicus and the Imperium are they're all part of the same cog are they though? and yet not at all <laughs> well, like, see, and that same guy I loved his uh, minutes of the meetings <laughs> oh my god so that's another part that stood out to me because I related to some of those on a spiritual level I think we've all been in some of those meetings yes his minutes were amazing the uh, the other footnote and this is one of those things that really did stick out with me was uh again this is pretty early on in the book but it's where um kane is like oh god i didn't read any of the debriefing stuff and she says um let's see his habit of neglecting to read the background information provided to senior officers prior to deployment on a new planet is rather odd given his caution in most other respects and she even calls it a quirk of behavior hmm reading it I was like hmm that is a very interesting analysis of him I feel as though and I mean this in the best of way not like in a oh it's bad writing because Kane is not the most reliable of narrators I feel as though there's a whole bunch of like enigma weirdness with Kane that doesn't quite add up right like the whole thing about his hive world that he grew up on that she's like we can't really pinpoint which hive world and we can't like mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff doesn't add up that's another little he came from a scholar somewhere though or a scholar somewhere you, you i mean you just can't randomly show up at those nope but it's an interesting piece of flavor text and I, th those parts always stand out to me when she's like something about this is weird but and at the yeah, same that time is one of the ones. yeah maybe they can't just they can't figure out which hive world he came from but he has a hive world kid's instincts. Very much stuff. so, right? So there's got to be something to it. And I hate to tell her this, but, you know, there's how many planets in this galaxy? Right. Do you, I mean, 
I'm sure somewhere in the many archives it's written down somewhere, but how accurate could that information even be by the time it gets to Terra in the first place? Really, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, the details that the Administratum supposedly collects is a joke at best. I had a thought reading this. This was one of those weird things because later on in the book, she makes a comment about his hive world and she's like, yeah, there's something still weird about this. But I was thinking about this randomly. So my husband's grandmother, there was this thing about her name. Her name was actually different uh, when she was older than it was at birth because the hospital that she was born in, in the middle of nowhere, burned down when she was 10 and all of the birth certificates were gone. So her mother had never liked the way that they'd spelled her name. So they were just like, oh, we'll, we'll just we'll just change it. <laughs> so get a new birth certificate issue, right? So little weird things like that, right? That, which, and that's a very common story. You actually hear about that a lot. Like, oh, the hospital burned down, the records are lost. Um, in the Warhammer 40K universe, I think the equivalent of that would be like his hive world could have been exterminatus and erased from records. That's another possibility. Depending, I mean, what if like a traitor dark angel landed there? The dark angels were like, what planet? Hmm? Right. Or the I Inquisition. Mean, Some inquisitor was like, no, there's no planet there. Never has been. I mean, he, like, take that kind of scenario. Even if he says what planet it was, she'd be like, ha, yeah, see, that doesn't exist. I'm like, which makes me think of, okay, I can never mind. I'm not going to quote it. Because you're just going to get bad. So, no quote it. No, now you have to. I'm going to quote um, second Star Wars movie. Sorry, the number number two, not Empire Strikes Back, but number two, where Obi-Wan is trying to look up uh, Kamino and it's not anywhere in the Jedi archives. And she's like, I'm sorry, Master Kenobi, but if it's not in the archives, it just doesn't exist. And I kind of see a lot of that with the Inquisition. Oh, if it's not in our archives, it just doesn't exist. Uh, and very, okay. It's all for you. Um, similarly, in episode two, it, that's probably the exact same reason, too. Like, well, why wouldn't it exist in the archives? Because someone removed it. Right. Pretty much, uh, you know, it's pretty much the Warhammer 40k universe in a nutshell, right? Right. But um, see, in the Warhammer 40k universe, if that child said that, suddenly that child is gone. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Yep. Um, that's another thing that stood out to me, by the way. And I know that Amberly Vale is just like, she's very unique as an Inquisitor. Uh, the whole end bit of, okay, so we're never going to talk about this, right? That's pretty big of her. <laughs> My first thought was, Kane must be really good in bed. Or she's a really good person. One of the two. <laughs> oh? Because, like... And we've seen plenty of Inquisitors who would have been like, you know, oh, yeah, uh, would you guys just stand right there? Call in the orbital strike. Right. Kind of a... So, all right, let's dive in and talk. So, once again, this book is presented in pretty much three narratives, right? There's Kane's narrative, which is the main narrative. There's Vale's narrative that's running along the bottom. And then there's all of the, let's call them historians, right? Because like she throws in the thing about the refinery plant. She throws in the, like a bunch of Sulla's stuff. Does the format still work for you? It does, except that this time I didn't enjoy Vale's footnotes nearly as much. There were some times where it was great. Like it was, 
it was a, a you know exactly what you would expect and other times like are you just putting yourself in here because you want to hear yourself talk and uh, you just feel like hey I'm still here too like I may not be in this story this time but I'm important listen to me I'm an inquisitor I'm an inquisitor because there's so many I, things like this is not bringing anything to the story you're just now just yeah putting stuff in to hear yourself talk which could be I that and that may have been Sandy Mitchell's plan that's like so how would the sound inquisitors do they try to make themselves important I mean she admits at the end of the book that she has doctored this archive she has edited his book for him oh yeah and not only has she edited it I can't figure out if like so in my mind part of my head canon is that every time she puts a footnote in there it's because she was removing something else so she's like, uh, yeah, this is an old folk tale, and we don't know where that old folk tale comes from. Remove this huge chunk of the story. Like, that's kind of my headcanon, is it's her basically being like, oh, well, I'm commenting on this so that you pay no attention to anything else that I've removed. Um, that's part of it. The other part of it could just be, like, it is kind of her train of thought. Like, and sometimes it feels feels like a very important note like i need the inquisition to understand or whoever else is reading this you need to understand xyz but i think you could be right where sometimes it could have been like her own personal notes mm -hmm. which don't really contribute to the story um sometimes she makes comments that i'm like okay like um oh what was it? i, think yeah, I, I didn't write i didn't mark any of them down i actually marked down one of them and i have to some of them are like I mean again a lot of the humor is hidden down there um, oh yeah okay so on page uh, 381 she has he, he's kind of mentioning that like oh look I'm, I'm friendly with some of the troops and she says that's actually given the relationship between most commissars and troops they serve with this is pretty remarkable um, and then she says as far so often in his memoirs Kane gives himself far too little credit for his own achievements yeah like, we've kind of picked up on that already. I don't know if it was designed, like, if when he wrote this book, he was like, well, maybe nobody's read the first book. So, because the Kane books, I feel like the Kane books are very much designed that you don't have to read them in order. You could pick up any of them and be like, oh, sure, okay. Because if they need to reference previous events, they do. Yeah, but, possibly. I think you still need the first one, at least. Just so you can Probably. understand a little bit more about Amberly Vale. But here's another mm -hmm. example on page 312. Okay. She just comments on what the snack is. Honey, I don't care. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the um, the freezies. Yes. Right, where I'm like, I could probably figure that one out. Um, you know, whereas, on, no. whereas like on 310, where she it says, you know, Kane wasn't fluent in Orcish, but had managed to pick up a few phrases in the course of his adventures. Mostly insults and obscenities, of course, but it could be argued that they make up the whole language. Okay, that's funny, and that that's adds humorous. something. Yes. Um, and then on 313 is the one that I was just talking about, where she said that cracking it has long been a priority of the Inquisition, right. but so far even the most rudimentary syntax has yet to be established. So that's very interesting. That actually... That actually is compelling, like, within the Warhammer 40k lore... Right, like that has a wider implication than just the confines of this book, which is really fun. Um, but yeah, some of some of her footnotes, I was like, yeah, okay. There I were also, a couple of them last book, but I felt like this book had more. I also like to call attention 
So this book was written in 2004, originally. Mm. Page 351, where Cade makes a joke about, you know, when this is done, the Emperor will be walking again. And Amberly's like, well, you know, it's going to be the start of, M- of M42. It's like, okay, Sandy Mitchell, did you know something? Or were you just, like, writing out your ass? Got his ass, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, if it was... Let's see. Right? I mean... Either he was writing out his ass and uh, GW was like, they remembered this and they said it honor it, or it was just a wild ass coincidence. But I would want to think that maybe he might have already known that might have been in the plan, that, that they already had a, an idea, like an M42, this is going to happen. I don't know. If not, that's a crazy ass coincidence. It's like, it is. You know, it's almost it how, like, you been. know, how many times the Simpsons predicted the future accurately. You know, it's, seriously, <laughs> this might be one. Caiaphas Kane might be the Simpsons of the Warhammer 40k universe. Why not? Oh my God, ship that. <laughs> Pointing that here, Caiaphas Kane is the Simpsons. All right, um, um hold on. And it could have been. My phone? I gotta get that tweet out like right now, so like, we can like right now. Well, yeah, so um, that we can trademark it. Like, I would like to try to logic it and be like, well, you see. Because the world had been so static for so long, and he kind of assumed it, it was kind of an inside joke. It's like, we're never going to get to M42. That's when he'll start walking again. Right? But on the other hand, you could be right. It could have just been like one of those just like, pull this out of my ass well, and go, yeah, so we'll get there, right? Well, do you think the Simpsons at the you? time actually believed that Trump was going to be president when they had their whole thing about him being president like 15 years before it happened? No. No. No, because that was... Uh, considered so outside so beyond the pale and ridiculous yes <laughs> like yeah the simpsons uh and maybe that's maybe it's a similar thing kind of like to trump's presidency right where like right. writing it they were like there's literally he's like there's literally no way and here we are yeah if you don't know what i'm talking about go to youtube and there they have there, there's a compilation compilation on youtube pronouncing things like Brits do god a compilation on youtube that has like all the times the simpsons accurately predicted the future and it will blow your mind i guess that's also what happens when you have a show that's been on as long as it has but at the same time that's incredible like okay the trump thing all right you know he has mentioned it like in the past and everything we can throw Mm -hmm. that one out but there have been so many others that will just blow your mind if you haven't looked it up the one that I always think about is um, the Redskins and the Super Bowl. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right. The Super Bowl one. Um, what's the other one? They, there was another one that just came up lately and it was really funny. It was, it, oh, it was Disney buying Fox. Yes. They had made a joke about yes. like, oh, and Mickey Mouse and right Disney Bot Fox. Yeah. Uh yeah. There's something else that I can't think of what it was either. But it was really it was also really funny. Like, yeah, The Simpsons was oddly prophetic. Of all things. Of all things. Of all things to be so prophetic. But you could be right. It could just be because they were constantly looking for ridiculousness. And when you run a show as long as they have, because what, season one of The Simpsons comes out in nineteen eighty nine? Mm-hmm. Like You've been running a show for 30 plus years. Oh, yeah, it was 1989. It's like, yeah, it was that long ago. So when you 
I've been running a show for 30 plus years. You're going to, you know, what's the thing about if you put a bunch of monkeys at typewriters, eventually you'll get Shakespeare. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking up the perfect gift to go with this tweet right now. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Then I will you, launch into my, uh, you allow so it? I have to say, I really like the way that the narrative is broken down because on one hand, Kane's misadventures are very funny and they're very amusing and there's a lot of action. But at the back of your head, you're always kind of like, but what's going on with the rest of your troops, dude? And I love Bella's dial. I love oh, how dramatic uh, she is. Her overdramatic but yet dull writing style. Yes. Because I did not know you could be both simultaneously. I would have assumed that they were like... You could be melodramatic and me going, but like melodramatic, but also super dry and boring. <laughs> like, and I think a lot of it is um, like looking on page uh, 371. It's actually the way that she ends it when she says, I must own up to it. My breast swelled with pride as I contemplated the honor of the task with which we had been entrusted and assured the Colonel that we would indeed prove worthy of her confidence. Yeah, I about threw up in my mouth there. It's so dry. It's so over the top. And it's the funny thing, too, is that that's a run-on sentence if I've ever seen one. Well, most of these are. Most of them are because she just, she needed an editor, which is also really funny because clearly Caiaphas Kane had an editor with uh, Amberly Vale. Sully not so much. Except that I think this might be a British thing, but it drives me crazy. Whenever, it's really bad in Sandy Mitchell's book, so it must be a British grammar thing. But the fact that they use which instead of that, when it's a, when you're supposed to use that. Like, every time I'm just like, it's that. That. Yeah. <laughs> it drives me nuts. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna chalk that up as a British which, thing because which? I can't believe that they would leave that in so many times. Well, with which... It's overly wordy. That's that's my technical writing coming out of me. I'm like, that could See, have been one word. That I'll allow, but that in which that that's a grammatically incorrect. Damn it. Well, and it kind of works for her and her stuff too because she's just a trooper. Ultimately, at the end of the day, she's just a trooper. I mean, obviously a very celebrated one, and she becomes like a high-ranking officer. Yeah, but, but even Kane. That's where I notice it the most is with him. You do notice it with him. It's a. Uh, yeah, I think it is a difference between British and yeah, and, American and, and there there are a few. Uh, One of the ones for me that always hangs me up. By the way, um, have you ever noticed that uh, when the firefighting start, they dived for cover instead yeah. of dove for cover? I'm always like, ooh. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. And then I kept, I was like, oh, wait, no, he dived again. Oh, he dived again. And then I read a book by a different, different author, and sure enough, oh, he dived again? Yep. Like well, there's that, stuff. and there's certain things that they were, that Europe and Britain, that they refer as plurals, where over here it would be singular, and so it messes with my head. Much so. Um, but I, I overall, Once I did like a copy like it, editor, only... always a copy editor. We can't, I can't right. let it go. Pretty much. Um, well, and as a technical, like as a person who spent a long time doing technical writing, one of my biggest pet peeves and it's why Sulla is so very humorous to me never say in ten words what you could have said in two 
I don't like excessively wordy writing. And uh, hers is delightfully so. Some of the historian stuff was kind of dry, though. Like, the whole Promethean refinery thing, like, on the history of why this is so important. I was kind of like, oh, I... Like, all you had to do was tell me it was important. I know how much Promethean... How important... And I know that it kind of, like, later on in the book, you're like, oh, okay, that's why that was important. When it's revealed that, oh, this was not the optimal positioning for the Prometheum. Right. But still, I was like, you could have just... You could have just told me that it was important and I would have trusted you on it. Like, I don't need to have the explanation of everything, right? I, again, I always think of, like, Stephen King with his, with his wife's quip of, do you have to bore the hell out of me with this? That part, I was kind of like, this is this is super dry. And not, like, in, and I, I guess kind of intentionally. I don't know. That, I think, that I think some of that was intentional. I mean, it is supposed to, like, you're basically reading administratum stuff at that point, right? Well, one thing I will say, though, with uh, Sulla's stuff is, you know, as, as it is, it's because of what she writes about Cain that makes me believe the stuff that he writes about himself. She's like, she talks about how gallant he is and how he came in and, and saved the day. Okay, so yes, he, he, he really did. Now, he has his own reasons for why this might have accidentally happened. But it still happened. So I, I kind of like those, um, I guess, little bullet points. That, that's like, yes, he's not lying about this. He's not right. making this sound bigger and, you know, than it really is. Or, you know, kind of like how they, uh, and the uh, Emperor text the speech with Caiaphas Cain is, you know, they're overly embellishing things that he did. And he's just like, yes. That's exactly what happened. This, as Sola kind of keeps it so dry, though, that we know it's not overly embellished what happened. Right. Now, her well, stuff's overly embellished. Stuff that she does, but nobody else. Right. Very much so. Speaking of that, so two books in now, how do you feel about Cain as a character? Uh, he, I think, honestly, this guy has full-on imposter syndrome. Hardcore, right? Um, because when that Amble ambushed him, he killed it, like, immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, okay, so this guy knows what he's doing. Like, he's very good, and he does make good plans. Does he plan an out at all times? Yes, but I think that's, again, that's, I said this, like, last time, too. I think that's just good planning. Right. And even though, like, okay, a good example is him going down to the tunnels, right? He kind of does the math and is like, yeah, that's going to be dangerous. Orcs, orcs are dangerous and I don't want any part of that. So I'll just go check out the tunnels. Yeah, I'll just go check those out. Um, the first time, I'll buy it. But once you realize that there's ambles down there and something else, right? The second time you go back down... And the third time, it's like, okay, now, dude, I'm having a hard time believing that you're like, well, no, this is still a safer way. Well, the third time, I think he kind of had to because he's the only person who knew where the portal was. Pretty much. And I do like when he's like, I I can't, I can't get out of this. Like, I can't. I can't. There's there's nothing I can say here. Like, without making it sound like I definitely do not want to do this. I mean, right. at the same time, before he went down into the tunnels, he was the only one who identified the Gargant coming. You know, 
he was identifying the threat, telling him exactly, all right, so they're coming in this way. This is what we need to do, do to prepare. We're going to have tunnels, make sure that they're not coming in that way. You know, because we got to look for those. I think it was like, because the missing miners, right? That's what that's what prompted it. Hmm. But they found out it was the, the ambles. Which I do right. like that he had stake at, at the very end. And I actually wrote down one of his quotes about wanting to eat the steak he's like besides the creatures had been eating the miners so it seemed fair enough to return the compliment very very canian and part right. of me is like well what does amble taste well the thing is the way they were describing them because they kept saying mandibles i was actually thinking of giant ants most of the time so th- the idea of steak just didn't sound like very appetizing you, from them. Did you look them up? No. They're really weird looking. Um, Alright. I mean, they kind of look like... like Look one up really quickly. Just type in Amble 40k. They look... <laughs> the first like thing that popped up was the American Pitbull Terrier. <laughs> yeah. Um, they... Uh, I don't know how to describe them. They have like an insectoid head, but they definitely have more of like a gorilla body. Like it looks more like a mammalian body. Like I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Oh, I love them. I think they're so cool. Of course you do. You freak. I know. I know. Um, I've always really, always really liked the ambles are really fun. Um, But obviously I'd never heard of them before until this. It does not like, like when he said they were eating amble steak, I, I had to pull up the model again and look at it. And I'm like, from where do you get the steak? I'm just like, horrified. Like, because I mean, if you look at the thing, like, is like, it like a Boston butt? Like, you're getting it up here off the shoulder blades, maybe? Well, or maybe so like, this one model, though, that I'm looking at, actually, they painted it really pretty, so it doesn't look as scary as this one artist rendering of it. So it's, like, all nice and blue and pink, so it's not so scary mm-hmm. now. It looks just very, very Slaneshi instead. Um, yeah, it kind of does. I mean, he's got a very broad chest and shoulders so i'm guessing you know right i guess on the underside maybe yeah maybe on the then again it is 40k and they eat anything that's true so all right i gotta close that out i'm gonna i'm really gonna have nightmares because seriously that one this one artist rendering it looked like basically this head had just like bazillion eyes it's like nope can't eyes just yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't totally and... incorrect. It was kind of like an ant. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. They have those big old mandibles on them. Uh, but yeah, when he was talking about eating the steak, I'm like, dude, again, I have so many questions. Like, I, I kind of need to see the butcher's diagram of it. <laughs> this is where you get the Boston butt, and this is where, you know. Uh, they might have just good back saying. ribs, you don't know. May, like maybe they have loin like the, they have a loin too I'm thinking in terms of pig um, like they have a loin too on the back I don't know I don't know in their life uh, anyways not like we're <laughs> eating it so true I bet it tastes like true. chicken probably and you know actually now that I'm thinking about it because I, I really enjoy alligator I mean when you look at an alligator it's kind of like where are you getting the meat from oh I can see where you can get the meat from most of the tail well, yeah, and some of the back. Very, very, very mm-hmm. It's mostly alligator tail. Yeah. And um, alligator's delicious, mm-hmm. by the way. Oh, alligator is delicious. Um, 
but yeah, it. I guess I guess we eat a lot of junk here too. What am I saying? Um. So let me ask you this. This is a bit of a more of a nuanced thing, but do you think he's an effective commissar? Like in the traditional commissariat role? Well, I haven't seen him shoot anybody yet, so I don't... Not in this book. Okay, yes. Well, I mean, one of his own troops. I haven't... But then again, I haven't really seen anybody run from cowardice either. They are the Valhallans. Right. They kind of have something to prove. Uh, So... Yeah, because even when the uh, the last group that he went with and he saw what was happening, he understood the terror that was going on. So I don't think he was going to shoot them. That and he didn't want to shoot them because then that means that's less people f- for the Necrons to kill. But right, but yes, uh, I think he would pull the gun if he had to. I just think he really tries to find ways to not do it. And I'm not saying it's because he's chicken, because he's not. It's more of a matter of, I just, honestly, it could be paperwork. He doesn't want to file out the, fill out the paperwork. I mean, that's what Sean would say uh, about military stuff. He's like, you don't want to kill somebody. That's a lot of paperwork. Um, but not only that, um, I think he also kind of stands that manpower. Yes, it's easy to come by, but it's not easy to build this groove with everybody so you know and I really don't know how well it improves morale for the commissars to be shooting people in the backs right well I mean he he makes reference a lot to the tense relationship that most people have with commissars and you can understand why right like again this person is there to make sure you don't run away from the demons in front of you right I like, mean we'll compare this to Severina Rain you know mm-hmm. where nobody trusts her except for that one guy and she just happens to be sleeping with him so that's right well i mean that sounds callous but they love each other so it's not like right it's, oh no no i knew what it, you meant I knew oh, what right you meant. but but everybody else right. like wants nothing to do with her very much so but now when you compare him to severina rain so here's one of the things that i know that you haven't read the gaunt series but he almost reminds me more of gaunt because the number of times that he essentially finds himself in a leadership position, less of the advisor and morale person. Like, he, I mean, the commissar is basically there to be the police for the police, right? Like, he's there to make sure everybody's in line, everybody's following <laughs> He's the internal rules. affairs. Essentially, yes. And, I mean, obviously the commissar does and can step up into kind of a leadership role in some ways. And it made sense in last book because he had two very green leaders, Right. Where these are people who they don't have a lot of experience under their belt, but now they kind of do. And so the number of times that he kind of steps into that leadership role again is very interesting to me. It almost makes me feel like, so they actually have to deal with this in the Gaunt's Ghost books because he's the Colonel Commissar. And um, they, they assign him, one of my favorite characters, Victor Hark, they assign him another Commissar because they're like, look, as a Colonel you're not really being great as a commissar because you can't really do both effectively. And so I understand why Kane stays a commissar, but it is interesting to me. There's times where I'm like, I question how good of a commissar you really are because you do so much leading, even if occasionally it's leading from behind. Well, I mean, well, down in the tunnels, he had to. He was the only oh, person that had for sure. any experience. But I kind of noticed he let Brokaw and Castine he kind of followed their lead and supported them. Like, 
like at the very beginning, uh, you know, when she was like, or stating martial law, the Magos are like, no, you ain't. And he was like, oh, actually, yeah, they can, you know, and really, you know, like, I'm supporting your position here. Um, so I kind of felt like, but he wasn't with them very much. So I don't think he got as much no. of a chance to really show that he was supporting their position. Right. And that's one of the things, too, is that, again, because of that, and I'm going to use air quotes here with the cowardice piece, uh, for all the reasons that we just discussed, he does end up not being around very much, right? He's often off doing his own thing, and Castine and Broklar are kind of like, okay, we're in charge here, and let's just hope nobody has a problem. Like, I mean, obviously they're in charge, but you know what I mean? Like, if there were, like, morale issues, it would probably have to fall to them. Like, if they had people trying to run from cowardice, right. that would fall to them. Um, there are times where I'm like, he's an astounding soldier, and he really does have those great he does have glimmers of greatness for a commissar and obviously glimmers of greatness for a leader, but I still have to, that's the only thing that I'm like, okay, you're not a coward. You're not a heretic. You are maybe questionable in your commissariat role <laughs> just because of, well, again, how often you're like, Hmm, you know, and I was, so yes, he's not, I don't believe he's a coward, but I do think he tries to do the easiest task. What he thinks is going to be the easiest. So, going down the tunnels and seeing where happened to these miners, that seems incredibly easy over dealing with, with the orcs. Talk about your favorite people now. The Mechanicus. I've never Start liked... Start here. I've never liked them. And this kind of... And really, I think it's really the Magos that I've discovered I don't like about them like the tech priests or like the uh, tech marines all right they're generally cool but the magos and it's honestly something this kind of seed that kind of creeped in um uh the first dark imperium book when robbie bobby talked about how he was constantly yelling at the mechanicus they were because they were trying to excavate and salvage xenos ships and he's like no destroy it and like but the knowledge he's like i don't care what knowledge this has like that's heresy yes that is you know you want to get on not you but you want people want to get on you know magnus for wanting to learn all this knowledge well look no further than the mechanicus they don't care where it comes from pretty much and i i, I do sympathize with them right because like the necrons are technologically way more advanced than we are right as the imperium and but there's xenos absolutely this is the same argument you throw at me about magnus totally. <laughs> no 100 and it's one of those things that i always really struggle with because on one hand it's like i mean it very much is pandora's box mm -hmm. like you have stumbled across this tomb but you can't touch it but what's inside of it amazing things but don't touch oh evil things <laughs> and a lot of evil things well but also a big part of that similar to magnus and all mm -hmm. the stuff of zinch they don't understand like they don't understand the necrons they don't understand what runs their technology what runs all of this um, these wondrous amazing things that they have right and i honestly believe that similar to what magnus was toying with they are toying with fire with the necrons right because 
there's a lot of unknown stuff about how their stuff works, right? Like we know it involves the Catan, there's a few other things in there, but, and really, look, the Catan are not the Chaos Gods, but they're, they're not great people either. Uh, no. So They betrayed really... the Necrontier. Well, but I mean, amongst other things, uh, do you really want to get involved with that? Yes. But they don't know because they're so ignorant to it, right? They don't know. That's and that's always partly, that's one of those catch-22s, right? Partly. But then I think back to Belisarius Call, who does know better. But. Well, that's my argument, though, about Magnus. Is like, because when people are like, oh, well, had the emperor told him everything? Like, Belisarius Call knows full well what he's dealing with. And he still charges straight ahead, mm-hmm. like with the thing with what is this world? Is this a Necron 2 world? Oh no, it's so much worse. Like, he knew, he knew that there was a Catan shard in there. Right. I didn't care. Like, nope, I know what it is, and yes, I need to have it. So I think he's actually the textbook example for why... Felix and all of them are getting, getting attacked by gene stealers because he's playing with something. They're all like, dude, stop, we're about to get killed. He's like, ah, you're fine. God. <laughs> Signed you better than that. I mean, <laughs> it's it's part of that, you know, will do anything to get this additional knowledge never mind who we hurt who we who gets killed in the process because it's knowledge that we want right which is part of the reason why Gulliman was having such a hard time with the adeptus mechanicus he's like what are you doing like what has happened to you over the last 10,000 years well Robbie Bobby a lot uh, <laughs> a lot <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so a lot of it you know and part of it I do understand because I have you know I did read Adeptus Mechanicum and I understand how much they have lost because of the Dark Mechanicus they've lost so much thank you Horace uh or thank you Erebus take your pick they have lost so much so they're constantly trying to revive get back all that technology that they're never going to get back it's gone it's time to instead Take what you know and move forward from that instead of looking at others, like what you people did 10,000 years ago. But they don't and want to. They No, they don't. Because they just see, but there's this knowledge right here. We could figure out how this works, but that's heresy. Well, the Omnissiah wills it. Does he? Does he? What if the Omnissiah is really the Void Dragon? Well, and also, again, going back to like, the the psyker thing Mm -hmm. right not just magnus but psychers in general right right like okay i have this power i can touch the warp the warp is bad but But i know what i'm doing i know what i'm doing i know how not to go too far doesn't it help us i mean come on the emperor is a psyker come on like we use psychers everywhere right we have the um astropaths so really psychers are good because they have a great life well, right. But I think, like, you can see so much of the stuff in this world, like, you can, just human nature in general, right. right? And that's the thing that's so funny about the Magos in this book in particular is, and actually really with the Medeptus Mechanicus in general, is that the flesh is weak, right? We must replace our flesh because it is weak and we must become more machine. But we are still 100% every susceptible to human folly. Like, this is heresy. Right. Yes, but I wants it. Okay, it's dangerous. Yes, but I wants it. It's like that oh, conversation okay. with Rocket at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. But what if he has something that I really, really want it? 
That'd be illegal. But but I, I want it. He does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would still be illegal. It's, it's like, like the arguments we have, you know, when kids are young, trying to take things out of the hands yes. of their siblings. You can't do that, but I want it. That's great, but it's theirs. But I want that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just it, compared uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus to babies. I'm fine with that. <laughs> because after I'm watching... that. Well, after... Sorry. Just because Logash is such a fine example of being mature. Yeah. Or, or even Prike. She's a peach. Uh, they all kind of are, aren't Although they? at least that one, the other Magos, he had some realization, but then he betrayed them anyway because he just couldn't help himself. Again, I think it, you understand it, right? Again, going back to Magnus with the psychers, but I can do the thing. Like, like I, I just need you to understand that I've learned this power. Actually, you know what? We're going to go back to our favorite our favorite well of inspiration, uh, Dragon Age, right? Remember when Dorian's talking about blood magic? He's like, look, there's nothing inherently bad about blood magic. It just gives you more power. And therein lies the rub because there's never really enough power, right? right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's very much with them too, is like even the guys, even the people who kind of recognize like, no, that's bad and dang, but that's very shiny. Like, there's just an allure to it, right? It's almost, I guess at this point, the Necron technology is to the Mechanicus what the warp is to Psychers. It's just, I guess, just there. It's just so alluring. I just have to touch it. Like, I could, we, we, it, this will be fine. Um, I was not surprised. As soon as he saw the Necrons, and I remember this again, too, from like the first time I read the book, as soon as he found the Necrons, I was like, oh, Jesus, the, the Mechanicus knew about it. Oh yeah, I was. It did not surprise me at all when they started connecting the dots here about why would they even use this place? Isn't right I, when he's like, uh, "This doesn't even make sense in terms of refinery." Right, right. You're like, of course. I mean, it could though. Uh, it, I mean, it, it could make sense. I mean, didn't we read what was it, Iron Warriors book? About the Mechanicus, the Magos, like, hiding a big secret. They, like, chose this one. The, yes, it was, because everyone was getting sick. Because they were making them get sick. Yes. Yes. Um, like, we literally just read this book. Like, The Storm of Iron, right? It was that one, right? Yes, it is Storm of Iron. Yeah. I had to think about that for a second. My favorite one. You need um, to, like, give back your Iron Warriors card. You had to think about that. Uh, fighting words Uh, Uh, but but yeah it's the same thing they're hiding this big secret like they're not there for any noble reason no not at all they're yeah yeah honestly as soon as Kane realized it was obsidian on the walls I was like that's it it's all over yeah fine whatever (laughs) well well, right then I knew it was Necrons and then because I knew that he had that Magos there that Magos in training whatever he was I was like well that's it he's now now I understand why he keeps talking about him being a liability he's totally a liability now oh and huh I'd really be surprised if the other Magos on this planet didn't know that was there 
right? Like, and it's really okay. So as as a Mechanicus fan reading the book, it gets very disappointing to me because I'm like, again, as soon as he sees the Necrons, I'm like, oh god, the Mechanicus knows about it. And like you keep going though, and you're like, oh god, they really do know about it. Oh no, no, please don't. Oh, why you gotta be? It's one of those things, right? And why you gotta like, cater to your stereotype, man? Like, why you gotta be the stereotype, man? Come on. Like, there are good men and women of the Mechanicus who are trying to rise above this. A few bad apples ruin it for everybody. Now everybody has to get out of the Necron pool. I think that's just good go advice for everybody. We're just gonna, yeah, we're just gonna go with that one. I feel like that's everybody. But again, it's kind of the Necrons in general. It's like the warp. Like everybody out of the warp pool. Just good advice for everyone, not it's just psychers. Um, but I was disappointed in them personally. <laughs> I'm not mad at you, but I am very disappointed. <laughs> um, I did like Vale's commentary on it, and I liked Kane's opinions on it as well. Um, having said that, were you? So let's let's take a step back. What are kind of the implications of this, though, of everything that's going on with the Mechanicus in this book? I'm not sure, I guess, exactly what you're asking. Yeah. So one of the things that I found very interesting, again, going back to that one part that stood out to me when she's like, oh, yeah, we've been trying to crack binary for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when she talks, remember, in her notes in the beginning, she's like, yeah, Everybody should read this because this confirms all of our suspicions around the Mechanicus. Like, one of the underlying themes through Amberly Vale's notes in this, and in the end, obviously, is the idea that the Inquisition, they're not so sure about what the Mechanicus is doing. Or at least her faction's not so sure. Right. Well, obviously, the Order of Xenos would particularly have interest in this because mm -hmm. Necrons. My first thought here is, is there anyone in the Inquis in the Imperium that the Inquisition likes? Themselves? And not even, even all the then, time then? Even then, question mark? Right. <laughs> like, big question mark? Yeah, and I, um, that's one thing I really think that John French's book, like, summed it up so very well, where he mentioned in there about, you know, when you have a bunch of people with autonomous authority going against everybody else with autonomous authority... Not everyone's going to agree, and not only that, they're not going to agree on how to handle problems with autonomous authority. It's the the whole Inquisition, the whole organization, is a failed prospect. They just there's just everything about them. It's I can't. I don't even got words. They, no, I uh, understand what you're yeah. saying. Is that like it was probably. It was probably, like all things, a good idea. Yeah. Like, especially when you go back and, like, you look at, like, Malkador, right? Like, if you think about, like, Malkador and the role that Malkador served to the Emperor, the Inquisition could be argued as kind of being an extension, right, of Malkador. Like, the Inquisition is to the Imperium, in theory, as Malkador was to the Emperor. Which... Having said that... But after reading Alpharius's book makes me think that the Alpha Legion was supposed to kind of be that original Inquisition. Yes. And that's definitely, I could definitely get on board with that theory. And I think it just goes to show that you can have one person 
And we've seen this with the Inquisitors, right? Like, we've read books with great Inquisitors. Like, people who <laughs> ultimately... Sorry for podcast people. Just tail just went right in front. <laughs> right on the camera. Guys, my cats are killing me today. Um, <laughs> literally, my allergies tonight. Um, but they... Uh, there's... I think we've seen good Inquisitors. We've seen some who are good people who really believe in what they're doing. I think Amberly Vale 100% believes in what she's doing and is a good person. That's what we've seen so far, right? Um, having said that, we've also seen a lot of examples of bad Inquisitors. And we've seen examples of Inquisitors who just go too far. And that's the problem when you have these giant organizations, as he said, with all this power and this autonomy. One person could maybe be trusted with that. But once you start empowering multiple people who have their own thing, and if we have learned nothing else about the Inquisition, the right hand really doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Right. Because again, they're autonomous. I don't have to tell you what I'm doing. I don't, like, I'm doing my own thing. And, and we might not even see each other. Like, I'll see you again in 75 years. And, and problem with that is, like, yes, they keep saying that, you know, they have the Lord Inquisitor. Do you really... Do you really? Do though? you do you answer to them at all? Like really, because I'm gonna go back into Dragon Age here. Uh, so you talk about the left and the right hands of the divine, for example. So if you want to see the Inquisition is uh, Liliana with her spy network and everything, makes total sense. But she's talking to the right hand the entire time, so they're you know, and all of her people report to her. The Inquisition if the Inquisition had, even if just the order, I mean, yes, they say they have, but if they really had someone that all of them in each Ordos had to report to, and those three would report to one another, maybe it wouldn't be as bad. I mean, it's not going to be perfect, but if there was actual some actual reporting to a superior going on. And the other thing about this that we can that we've seen and it makes total sense, right? Is like, let's say, in the segmentum that she's in, yeah, somebody there who's higher up is like, I want to know about the Mechanicus, and so they have like five cronies that are like, mm, sure, yeah, I also want to know about the Mechanicus, right? Like, there's just there's just a lot of implication here of like, I feel like the Inquisition has just fingers at everyone, right? And now, whether or not this is because one Inquisitor saw something bad, like I think about the Inquisitors that are trying to trace down the Dark Angels, right? Or let's go back to the Emperor's Gift. The one Inquisitor who's like, fuck it, I'm going to destroy the Space Wolves. I don't care. Right. Right? Like this could all just be like the personal, now I have cat fur all over me. Um, this could just be the personal vendetta of one Inquisitor who's like, I don't trust the Mechanicus. Now, maybe it's because he saw something. He or she saw them do something they shouldn't be doing. Or maybe the Inquisitor witnessed something very similar that we saw here with mm -hmm. with the Magos like keeping quiet about a Necron tomb world. That's something the Inquisition would like to know because they would like to bomb it out of existence. And you know, and on that, that's a case where as much as I kind of poo-poo the Inquisition and don't really trust them, this is valid. Right. <laughs> like, again, I'm reading it like, oh, why you gotta be? Like, now, now the Inquisition is right. Because at first when she's like, you know, kind of like throwing a little bit of shade at the Mechanicus, how dare you, madam? But then you get to the end of the book and you're like, 
okay, that is bad. Like, again, to me, there's, and, and this is, this is, I shouldn't be surprised by it, but I would actually like to see somebody maybe explore that in a little bit more detail about the, the, the position uh, investigating the, the Theptus Mechanicus. Mm-hmm. I would enjoy that too. You would have to tread very carefully, right? Because again, these people provide all of your technology. Like, you don't go anywhere in the Imperium without these people. Well, so much of, for that uh, age of science that the Emperor had. Uh, all gone. Wah, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. So, that kind of segs us into my last question, which is this book has everything in it. Like, everything? Corrupt Mechanicus. Necrons. A Necron portal. Orcs. A Gargant. <laughs> Like, the only thing... Now, if you consider that this is part of a trilogy and part of an omnibus here, we already saw the gene stealers. Now he killed two birds with one stone. Like, ooh, I got orcs and I got necrons. Was it too much or was it just the right amount? It was just the right amount for me. It didn't feel like... Superman... Superman. (laughs) Wrong. Wrong Superman. It didn't feel like uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 3. And 3? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel so bad for Tobey Maguire because I think we often, that's how that one gets referred to. And it, it really is like the perfect example of too many cooks in the kitchen. Like just, there's just too many, too many plot threads going on. Plots. I didn't, when I realized that they were going to introduce Hobgoblin, I remember sitting in the theater going, oh, come on, really? Yeah, they'd already had what, Sandman and, and Venom. Venom. Yeah. Any one of those would have made a compelling movie. Uh, just all they had to do was Venom. Let's pretty be real. Much. Yeah, pretty much. Because that's a um, huge, incredible story on its own. But Said that. I'm kind of glad they borked it so hard so that the Tom Hardy Venom could kind of come in and really stand on its own. So that's okay. But it, I don't really care about Hobgoblin. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, I think Nobody that's does. kind of the example of like, just, we're just going to do everything. It's kind of like, um, actually X-Men, X-Men 3 does that too, right? Because they just tried to like, I know, I know. Well, I mean, I already, to, like, already just, invoked Spider-Man 3, so why not? Let's just go for the other threes. I'll watch Spider-Man 3 twice before watching X-Men 3 again. All right, you know what? Valid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because the way that they try to so grossly shoehorn the Dark Phoenix saga in there. And, it, and morphed it in a way it didn't even make sense. Didn't even make sense. And let's be clear, on paper, like, I love the Phoenix saga, I love the Dark Phoenix saga, but, like, on paper, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. So, so the aliens? Like, once you start with aliens, it's like, I'm gonna need a drink to, to process this. Um, the Order of Xenos would like a word. But this, I, I actually thought this worked kind of well because, and again, I think part of it could be because of Kane's narration that he has such a, oh, great, of course, what else mentality about mm-hmm. everything that, yeah, and it kind of becomes appropriately crazy. Well, it, I mean, it fit, to be honest. And I think if you just had the orcs, it would have been a kind of a boring book. It would have been dull. Like, had it just been the ambles and the orcs? yeah. Like, because I mean, it did kind okay. of come to question how did the ambles get here? Like, they're not 
they're not native to any ice worlds and things like that. So why not add in the Necrons? I mean, be honest, I'm glad it was Necrons and not the Gene Stealers. Again. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think, I honestly, I think as much as I really enjoyed the Necron sections, had it just been a book about the Necrons? I don't think it would have been nearly as good. It would have been super boring. Yeah. Because having that threat, it, it, it definitely upped the tension. Oh, right? yeah. So, like, right then, as like, he's... <laughs> As soon as Kane sees the obsidian, he's just like, oh, we got to go. Like, this is bad. We have to We're report done this and we have to leave before they wake up. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, and like the whole Gargant thing, right? When he's like, uh, there's a Gargant coming. That also, it's like, oh, God, this is so dangerous. This is so bad. Like, we all know. Question, though, as much of the orcs as we... Because this is what's really interesting. So we have read... Uh, what now? Two books directly about the orcs, right? And the orcs have come up in a bunch of books recently. How does, and this is 2004, so how does this version of the orcs compare to like what we've been reading recently? Uh, okay, I did really enjoy when the orcs got the drop on him in the very beginning and Kane realized they could only see him, so he pretends to get shot <laughs> in a nice dramatic fashion. And he hears them, like, you know, arguing over who gets who gets credit for the kill. It's still got a lot of, lot of good parts like that. And I really enjoyed uh, their reaction to seeing the Necrons. Like, well, here are things that can't die. This should be fun. Me gets. <laughs> the what? The shiny gets. Shiny gets. Yeah. They, uh, I liked it. I, I did kind of, because... It's interesting to see the orcs from the he only the human perspective, more or less, right? Where you get to see them as somewhat humorous, but more scary. Right. Right. Because they're just mindless killers, more or less, and the, to the humans, right? Um, I miss a little bit of, because we've seen in the inner workings of them, mm -hmm. I think mostly of Brutal Cunning and uh, Gazkolth Raka, like, the fact that we've seen the inner workings of them, I was like, oh man, I want to... I want to really, like, I want to see them discovering the Necrons from their point of view, right? Like, I want to see more of that and more of what they're thinking. And, like, when the Gargant gets destroyed, like, there's just things where I was like, oh, I need a better narrator from their point of view. But that would kind of defeat the purpose. Yeah. Of it. Uh, that just like, that I was like, oh, bummer. I, I thought it was fine. It was fun. It was definitely fun. Um, the whole book in general. It, so let me ask you this, because we had said last time that we really just want another popcorn book, kind of. Did this fit the the need for popcorn book? Yeah. I mean, yeah, me too. Yeah. It was an enjoyable it's breezy, read. It's light. Yeah, it's enjoyable. It's breezy. Uh, it's kind of hard. I was trying to explain this to my daughter. It's kind of hard to play the same magic trick twice. Right? Like, we've seen Kane shtick we know that he is a little bit better than he claims to be. Mm -hmm. It is still interesting, but it doesn't quite have that whoosh, breath of fresh air on it. But I did like it, and I'm really glad we did read it. Um, but I'm also kind of glad that we're going back to something more serious next. I don't have my paper copy because I left oh. my I left my Kindle out in the family room. So, Storm Color by Chris Raid. Yes, as 
people we, can see yeah yeah we, yeah. we got it we got to get through these because you know hellgate uh hellwintergate hellgate why not hellwintergate okay. uh came out for the masses but just like a month ago so something like that yeah yeah the ple- the plebeians so, yeah. finally have <laughs> access access to it so we got to get gotta get through it so stormcaller is next always like reading about rune priests who aren't psychers it's my favorite thing i i think i put this in the post on the site too because i was typing it and all i can think of every time i think of the rune priests is i'm like they are neither priests nor runes discuss uh, for people who I mean, don't do they carve the runes into things? I mean, they do actually. There okay. are quite a few runes that they use, which is why they have the kind of warp protection, which is really interesting. Mm. But uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, this rune priests have firmly cemented. If anybody remembers the early Saturday Night Live from the '90s with Mike Myers, where he would do the uh, his mother-in-law impression, uh, I cannot think of her name right now off the top of my head, but she had the thick New York accent. And she would, with coffee talk. Oh. One of my favorite ones was the Partridge family was neither Partridges nor families. Discuss amongst yourselves. That's, yes. I think I've also heard her say that grape nuts are neither grapes nor nuts. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That was a lot of her stuff that she did. Um, And that always, when I think of the rune priests, even though they they do technically do work with the rune. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm very excited. I like Njal Stormcaller. I think he's an interesting character. I do. I do Um, too. Yeah, he's a he's a cool one, and I it, I kind of feel like Dad's gotten called. Like you have messed up so bad, we need to send Dad down there. Like not not Dad, Dad, right? Obviously, right? Or not even um, it's Dad at home, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, it's like you know, well, it's honestly it'd be like the some Blood Angels group messing up so bad they got to send Mephiston out there to go fix it, right? You don't want like, that, um, Azeroth, like. It's like you don't want Azra yeah. fixing things either. <laughs> no, um, but we gotta send one of the adults down there. Wait, this is Azra. Azeroth, right? Not Azeroth. Metrion Zenthos. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I can never remember this man's name, and I enjoyed the book. Um, but yeah, like we have to send an adult down. Like that's how bad you messed up, AA Ron. We gotta send down an adult. Not only an adult. Like, again, yeah, it was, I guess it was kind of like Mephiston. Yeah. Or like if they had to send out. Um, oh my god. I mean, he's I basically their chief right librarian, now. even though they don't have librarians because they don't have psychers. Pretty much, it it kind of is, right? So, I, I'm excited. I want to see what happens, especially on a death world where we know that something is fishy, something right. is rotten in the state of Denmark down there. It has been for some time. So, can you imagine if Tigarius had to be called somewhere? That wouldn't go well. Thank you. Either. I could not think of his name. I was like, it's like an animal tiger. Could not think of Tigarius, sir. See, uh, I always yeah. keep wanting to say his name is Tiberius, but I know that's not correct. So I'm like, no, it's Tigarius. Tigarius. Uh, yeah. If they had to send him down, like in that, actually in that other, um, what is it? I think it's the fifth Ultramarines book when he's talking with Uriel Ventress. Right, I was like, "Oh, dude, you messed up!" And, like Tigarius is having to give you a lesson right now. Like that's that's bad. <laughs> that's how serious the situation well, is. Yeah, because it's a uh, he's he wants to put them, put Uriel through a test because Pisanius mm-hmm. is in 
he's sitting in timeout. So he wants to give mm-hmm. Uriel, Uriel a test. And he's like, but I've already been tested by the Grey Knights. He's like, I, but those aren't my tests. You haven't proven anything yeah, exactly. to me. It's like, like, oh, sorry. Well, and remember, <laughs> his thing was also, his test was more along the lines of, when do we break the codex? <laughs> like, well, it yes. was more of kind of a dad browbeating than anything of like, what did we do wrong? Um, like, you know, I, so I'm excited lesson. to see I'm excited to see what y'all Stormcaller thinks. I'm also excited to see a little bit, um, like, the problem with the Death Guard is that you don't just, like, they don't just poof away. No. Like, they're, they leave a slime trail. (laughs) Like slugs. Exactly. Like, there's going to be a lot of fungus and... They're going to have to burn the fields. I mean, that's just... They really are. Like, at this point, you're just going to burn and just start over. Dust off nuke the site from orbit it's the only way to be sure yeah it solved the whole book right there yeah at this rate there's not gonna be any planets left in this galaxy <laughs> this pleases mortarian <laughs> let's be real actually pleases chaos pleases if nothing else exactly but mortarian's been sent to his room without dinner so he yeah, yeah. he's also in timeout. <laughs> awkward do you want to take us out carrie <laughs> yes i sure will so thank you all so so much you've been listening to the warhammer 40k book club episode regarding caves of ice by sandy mitchell be sure to join us for our next book Stormcaller, by chris rate we are an unofficial book club but not affiliated with the black library or any of its affiliates you can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website wh40kbookclub.com If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. Yeah, I'm still off various. If I should recommend you to get a cat or not. Not. Pain. <gasps> Never litter, mind. Litter box. Get you a kitty. Litter box. That's all I got to say. A yard full of poop. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>